0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Eldrick Talks. Today I'm talking with Alan Bales about his relocation to Ireland, his idols, and about gaining the confidence to finally start writing. Enjoy! Alan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm fine, thank you. Uh, it's, the weather actually stopped raining, so it's, it's uh, pretty good outside for once. It's been raining for the last couple of days, a few days, but... At least it's not as hot as it is over in certain parts of Europe at the moment.
0: Yeah. No. I mean the listeners probably already hear from your uh from the beautiful voice of your sound of your voice. Uh you're somewhere in the UK, right?
1: Yes, I'm actually living in Northern Ireland.
0: And did you did you grow up there? Were you born there or?
1: Um no actually. I, I actually came from uh, I was born in Hartlepool, uh, which is in the northeast of England. Uh, but I grew up in a, a mining village outside of Down City, which is nearer to Newcastle upon Tyne. Um, I grew up there uh, up until two thousand Yeah, two thousand six. It was because um I moved over I moved over to Norway Island to be with my let's say but like if anybody else does, to when, a, when a woman's involved, you have to move over for the, to be with that person. So it was easier for me to move over to be with her rather than she move over with me. And then not long after that, we got married. So we've been together now for about um, we've married about sixteen years now. Sixteen years gone last month.
0: Congrats! That's that's quite long. <laughs> And how, how, how hard was it for you to move somewhere else?
1: It was a bit. Uh, I dreaded it at first because I've never, to be honest, I've never even. Uh, I've, ne- I've always, the move. I've always lived at home with my parents. So this, I was this, and that was up to. I was thirty-five when I actually moved out. Mm. <laughs> so it was a long time, <laughs> um, and then things just, it just seemed natural, it just set into place, and we, um, we, and things just, it was, I think I was more worried about moving home, moving out of home, than moving into another, moving into another country, so, but um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was fine, and um, once I got used to the way of life over here, because it's, everybody's so friendly, but, but the thing that, was I found a bit of a struggle at first. Was the language barrier. Um, the language the,
0: barrier, but it's all English, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, but it's the accents as well. There's the, the there's that much there's the, there's a lot of the northern northern north, north, north the people over here speak with a broad north of northern Ireland accent. Uh, my wife's the same, and sometimes it took me. It took me about a year to get used to her accent, to understand what she was saying. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, ev- they, they, everybody's got a lovely accent over here they speak lovely, but it's it's certain parts where it is quite broad, so you have to really listen to understand what they're saying. Because mm-hmm. that, because um, I've been used to my own dialect, but when the chains do a different. Part of the country, like Northern Ireland, which is a completely different dialect. That's where it can get a bit challenging, but I managed. uh, Yeah, and um, it it worked out perfectly.
0: Would you say that you're able now to switch back and forth between two accents, or did you just lose that one?
1: Um... <laughs> Everybody, whenever I go back home, people keep saying I have a bit of a Northern Irish Northern Irish accent now. But, <laughs> um, I, I think I've lost a bit of my normal accents because I had to speak more. because no, because I, I, I had to speak more slowly as well to people over here. So and my own accent changed as well when I, I've been living. I've lived here for nearly seventeen years now, so um, certain things you lose and you start to. Pick up certain things as well. So, as as people say, you do end up being like your spouse, which is quite true.
0: Really. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, when you were growing up, were books and and writing and literature already a big part in your life?
1: Oh yes. Um, my mum, God bless us all. Um, she was she was a big reader, and um, she encouraged me and my brother to read from an early age. And it's I feel it's because of her I became a, I, I always wanted to write from an early age, but um I always believed I wasn't good enough. But I that didn't stop me from reading. And um over the years I've I've read loads of books, but it's my mum who I always put down to being the my guiding force the one who's responsible for starting me off reading unfortunately, she died last month um but she she lived she she lived long enough for me to see me publish my first books, which she was really proud about she always every time she went she everybody whenever she went down the streets uh, down to the shops. People would stop her, and she would say, "She would always the first thing she would say to everybody was oh you know what? Our wrote a book. He's got a book now on mm-hmm. Amazon.' She was extremely proud that that had uh, got, that I wrote a book, and
0: <laughs>
1: she also commented once that she was the thing. What she was proud more was that she actually know now she could tell people that she knows somebody who has who was selling something on Amazon.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> lovely.
1: But um, no, that's my mum who I feel you yeah, get she, did yeah. I, I started reading probably, um, probably about five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, she sat she sat us down to read and taught us to read properly. And she she uh, I think it was seven. Um, she gave she uh, she came home one day and told us she'd enrolled us into the li- into the local library. So the next day I got my library ticket and um, went down to the library and and chose my first book. And I can still remember what book it was uh, because it was um, uh, Doctor Who and Death to the Daleks. I was a huge Doctor Who fan and to see a book well, doctor Who, well when you, when you're seven you're old, you old you have to get it you have to you have to read it that's that type of thing so I, I can I imagine those
0: big eyes in front of me right now <laughs> yeah yeah
1: um and from then on I just loved reading um i from there uh, I think I started reading uh horror books later on when I was about 10 or 11 i can remember i think the first horror book I read was james herbert's the rats and it scared the bejesus out of us but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it i just it was just the imagery and the, the things that J, uh, james herbert was able to describe there's still certain things in the book that still come to mind in my head that whenever i, I think of the rats i think of certain scenes. that it's just the the imagery he was able to write and I, I think I've, uh, I've read nearly all of his books because I'm such as a big fan of his, and it was the same with I read, uh, um, things like Stephen King, It. I was a big fan of it. I loved it. But there was some of his books I found I couldn't get into, like Misery and um, um, Christine. There's just certain ones I just couldn't. I find myself I just couldn't get into for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I was able to as big ones like the the stand and it, which um, but other books my mum always encouraged us to read was um, she always tried to to get us to read a variety of titles. She was she was always a big fan of Catherine Coxon. and mm-hmm. for some reason I ended up reading some of hers, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which was very it was a change of pace. And from then on, I read some of Geoffrey Archer's as well over the years. Um, Cain and Abel was one of my favourites of Jeffrey Archer's. Um, uh, so I was, I've, I've read quite a lot over the years, but now uh, over, over the, course, over the few, past few years, I've I've, I've been reading Dean Countz, I've always loved Dean Countz. and it was my mum. It was because my mum had been recommended a book by Dean Counts. uh what Watches. She 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 never read all her horror books, but that was the only one she ever read, and she scared. She said it scared her so much she couldn't put that. She had to put it down. But, and then she recommended that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I started to get into Clive Cluster. I loved the adventure books of Clive Cluster with um, oh uh, uh, I can't remember his character's name now. Uh, Dirk Dirk Pitt. Um, he's uh, the I've just enjoyed. But it's a a shame that he died as well, because he he loved I I loved reading his adventure stories. They were just it's and it's because of that 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 sense of horror and sci-fi that is one of the reasons why I wanted to write a book, the book that I wrote now, uh, which was which I used some of my favorite imagery of from James Herbert into my into my reading
0: hmm. and it took you a, quite a few years though, right, to start actually writing your yes
1: um, I think it was wasn't until after I turned 50 Oh, hmm. well, it was just before I turned fifty I started reading um, oh. I up at that point had been working as a secretary and or the sep- and receptionist for years. And I always wanted to write, but I kept putting it off because I've always believed I wasn't good enough. Um, but it wasn't until one day it was it was around know, two thousand nineteen. I took on well and I, I found I couldn't. I wasn't able to work. And one day, um, I'd been off work for around six months at the time, and. I, there's, after a while there's only so much Netflix and things mm. that you can watch before you start to go of your mind so one day I was actually feeling sitting, feeling sorry for myself about being off and having been sick when, and then I, I just felt no I'm not I'm not going to feel sorry for myself anymore I, if I'm going to if I'm not be able to work and I'm going to be off I might as well use my time to do something productive mm. so I sat down and I realised this was the time where, if anything, I could write this book I've been mean, that I've had in mind for years. So the first thing I did was sit down and do do a bit of research online, looked up on YouTube on um, steps to do on how to write a book. And once I took a few notes, I got got the basic once I got the basic idea and saw a couple of tutorials. I started to write the the um uh, chapter guide, um the, uh, the uh, synopsis of what of the book I was I was wanting to write. I had the basic I had for well you know, I've had the basic idea of for double jeopardy in my head for since I was a child because um growing up I had this tremendous I won't say tremendous but this strange fear of mirrors that something was watching me back Mm. and then I I was also afraid at the same time I was also afraid of the dark so I always thought why couldn't I use those two fears of mirrors and the dark and try and incorporate them into a story and at the same time I was always a big fan of Star Trek I loved the episode Mirror, Mirror which was about setting an, alter, an alternate reality. And I've always loved the idea of alternate realities, that somewhere in, the, in another dimension that there's another person of us doing something opposite or doing something that where we thought about once doing, but we didn't, but they did. So I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could incorporate that into it. So I sat down, thought about it, he said, yeah this this could work, and then from there, on, once I got the the basic idea, and then I started writing, and the story developed from there, mm-hmm. and i well, the more I wrote, the more I enjoyed it, and the more I realized that I could write mm-hmm. that i should that i that mm-hmm. i that I shouldn't have really put it off, and I, That, <laughs> that, that, that right, and I kept thinking to myself, why did I put this off so long? So I always believed that you had to be educated to uh-huh. write a book, like to go to university. And from then on, I never looked back, and I, um, and that's when I took, I think it took me about a year to write to write uh-huh. it. But, and then yeah, I but was there, I published Better, published Better book.
0: later than never, right? I mean, it's like yeah, it's like, yeah. like the saying, right? The best time to plant a tree was yesterday, and the second best time is today. So.
1: Yeah, I think it was. It wasn't a term. Uh, what I'm trying to remember the the author of Jack Reacher. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee Childs. He was. I think he start didn't start writing until he was in his late forties, I think.
0: Mm-hmm and
1: um so i uh, i think it's just what you can't you, uh, you can still start to do something completely on a life i know it's a no. it's, it's it's a it's a, it's, it's a new challenge and but i'm enjoying it mm. and it's something um a, it's something it feels like i'm learning a new career the way i think of that because you've got to learn yeah. completely new skills yeah as well totally. as, yeah yeah it's complete it's completely different for it's out of my comfort zone, basically. Yeah. And that I quite enjoy. It's I never thought I would have, but it's something I really... Yeah. It's just, because it's not only that I've got to learn writing, but there's the marketing side I've been learning as well, so mm. it's 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 something that I, I'm really enjoying.
0: Yeah. So, so you say you have, like, a plot uh, from the beginning, right? You have the synopsis, but how detailed is that synopsis?
1: Um...
0: And how much is improvisation fr-
1: you writing? Uh, yeah, yeah. When I when I first started it, um, it was a rough synopsis. Um, i at the time I wrote down. I had the idea of the characters in my head, so I wrote, first. I wrote down the the the, the, the characters I pictured first. So I described the character. I, I plotted out the characters, mm. and then I I wrote a basic plot outline with the ch- with a chapter guide. Basically, of the prologue, how I was going to start the book and how it was going to end, and then once I had that once I knew how it was going to start and how it was going to finish, it was all it had the basic idea it wasn 't until I started writing properly the book properly that where the story developed as I went along um, and I was able and so that's how I was able to develop the book as I was going along. Once I had the basic idea of uh, how it was going to start and how it was going to finish, mm-hmm. I just felt how I was how was A going to get to C, it was Basically, so what's going to be B? So I realized, well, I'll just I'll just go. Flat, I'll just write it as I'm going and see how it, see where it goes. And that's that's the way I did it.
0: And. Doing once I had,
1: because I, I had the basic idea in my head, I knew hmm. what it was I was wanting. So, and once I started it, I and then how yeah. I knew what I was aiming for, and that's how that's how I wrote.
0: And how 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 easy was the approach for you? Because I could imagine when I do that myself, I would end up with a lot of plot holes and a lot of situations that I don't know how to get myself out of again. And so, how much. How perfect basically was the first draft that you did that way, and how much um, did you have to look over? Yeah, it? the first
1: draft. Um, once I looked at it, I realized the first chapter. Um, I got actually got a, a work and a friend, a work colleague who was a good reader, to have a look at it, and she felt the beginning wasn't was uh, was rushed. She felt that it needed a. Um, a, a decent uh, prologue that mm. explained what was going, what was happening. So, the second draft, I went back and rewrote the and wrote the prologue. Basically, rewrote the prologue with what it is now, because at the at the the first um, the way it started off when I first wrote it was it just. If you, if you, I don't know if anybody's read it, but it was in the in the in the child's bedroom where he wakes up and he gets he finds he gets attacked by something, but there was no idea where the where the thing came from and what what it was. So I realised I needed the prologue to explain what happened previously for that to happen. My original plan had been to write that in. To come to that point in at a certain part in the book where mm. a character explains where, where how they uncover the evidence of what of why that happened, then I realized that oh, can I cannot do that so I would have to have um so I ended up writing a prologue that uh about i think it was 75 years earlier explaining what had happened, why, and how this how we got to this point now mm. um and then the second draft it I fixed it was wasn't really profitable but it was just ideas that came to me later that i that I felt oh and i should I really should have enjoy at this scene here mm-hmm. and then oh I need to enter at this scene here and then all the way through my first draft I always thought there was something missing something the um an antagonist, and it wasn't until I was sitting one night watching t v where Something pops up on the TV about this sci-fi program, and I thought, Ah, yes, that's what I could use for the antagonist. So I was able to slot that in—that she'd been the one manipulating events since the start—and mm-hmm. big. And then it wasn't until towards the end where I was able to reveal her. That I, I water that way. I always kept me antagonist hidden until the very right until the very end. The big reveal, mm-hmm. sort of, as if to say, "It is me. I'm doing all everything."
0: Mm-hmm. And in in total, how many drafts were there from the first draft to now, as it's uh, published?
1: Um, yeah, I published it in two thousand. Yeah, twenty twenty one, and I think I went through, through six drafts. Mm-hmm. finally, was before I was finally happy to uh, give it. Yeah, to allow t- once I've once I was finished with the draft I was quite happy with. Mm. It was that that point where I was able to go and look for an editor to go to help me edit it. Uh,
0: okay, how do I phrase this? Um <laughs> <laughs> So at some point you decide you have to go to, to a professional editor.
1: Yes, uh, I realized that my as much as I wanted to to believe in myself, I knew I I, I would have to go to a professional editor to get it done, to get it done properly um, if I wanted it, it, it. Wanted the people to read it and to, what
0: what was it in your draft that you saw that you thought I can't or well, I don't want to do this myself?
1: Um, I just I just knew that when I was looking at whenever I was looking at the draft, I always felt that I'm missing something, that there's always... Because whenever I passed it on, it was one of my biggest, two of my biggest critics, uh, my mm. brother and my wife. Them two, were, uh, the, those two, were, I always let them read everything I'd wrote. Each draft, they were the ones who always read it. And I always said, oh, you're missing this bit here, or you're missing that bit here, or something like that. Mm. So I knew that uh, I, I needed a professional eye, somebody who was objective, who was able to be able to look at it mm. and see what I've missed, as well as point out, point out a couple of things that, that, that probably wouldn't work. And one day I just happened to be uh, on YouTube when an advert popped up about mm. how writers should be using professional editors that if they wanted their work to be t- to, for, uh, yeah, uh, to be taken seriously. Um so I did a bit of research, looked up, uh, I had no idea where to start. So ended up, I had to re- do a bit of research on what, what, what type I did to look for. Um, and I think I, I think it was Fiverr I eventually ended up on, which I, at that point i never heard of. And then mm. once I was able to narrow it down to what I was looking for, I I went off people's reviews of who of who they used and things like that and then I found out found the person I was looking for. Hmm.
0: Um and how how satisfied were you with that?
1: Um with the editor I used or with the way I was or with how I was able to find it?
0: Uh, actually both.
1: Um it was I found it a bit of a, at first because at that point I didn't have anybody to turn to any I never, yeah, uh, never thought of using Twitter or anything yeah. to, to. Uh, at that point, I didn't actually realise there was a writing community on Twitter mm-hmm. where everybody could help each other. Even though I'd been on, at that point, I'd, I'd been on Twitter since 2011. I never actually took took it, used it seriously, yeah. until I became a writer, and then I found mm-hmm. there was this whole whole community on Twitter for writers and authors wasn't until after I'd published the book where I found it. Um, so it was, um, it was... I found it a bit frustrating at first, looking, trying to look for an editor, because I, I didn't know who, who to go look for yeah. and who to... And um, she was a, the person who I found. She was a wonderful woman. She, she did help us, but... Um, I was a bit disappointed with With her work afterwards, mm. um I think, yeah, disappointed about, because afterwards there was a lot of people who would come to us after after they read it and said it they felt that I should have hired a professional editor, <laughs> even though I thought I had'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. okay, and because there were certain things in it that they said that should have been pointed out mm. Um, see when I when I when I originally wrote Double Jeopardy, I'd wrote it in present tense. Mm-hmm. But the who um, who helped us, she convinced me. She was adamant that it should be in past in past tense. Well, she, at first she she'd said that the prologue should be set. No, no, look at so I'm trying to get this right. Yeah, sorry about this. Yeah, Mm. she said that um, when we had looked at it, she'd said to us that the prologue should be in. She convinced me that she was adamant that the prologue should be in past tense, and from that, from the rest, from chapter one, should be in present tense. So even though I'd wrote the whole book in past tense, I had to change. Uh, From chapter one onwards to present tense. And there was a lot of people afterwards, after the draft book was published who said that it didn't work, that it it shouldn't it it should be in it should all be in past tense because okay. it, it it read better. So after a few people had said that, I went back and rewrote it and back into back into uh, past tense and it did it did end up sounding better. Um, I I kinda thought I cannot. it was probably my fault for for being not having not choosing the right editor, but I kinda of thought what the work she did. because she, she did she was very good. She was able to, to point out some of the things that but I found she was a bit hard to work with. Um, and there was a few things that I felt just there was a couple of things that niggled us a bit, so I'd, I decided if I ever was going to use a novella there, I would probably do a bit more research next time and mm-hmm. look for somebody closer to home. The one that I'd ended up using, um, I'm trying to remember in yeah, name, but I cannot, it's not gonna off to my head. Mm-hmm. Um, she she was based in Chicago in, in America,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there was a lot of things that. In my writing, because it was set it set in England, she didn't understand and she struggled with. Yeah. Which I, I knew at that point I've probably had chosen the wrong per, the wrong person, but I said it it's, uh, can't be helped. Yeah, but it's yeah. a, it's it's one of those things that just you can't help it. You just have to deal with it, and it's yeah. a learning experience for next time when I for when I when I do look for another Look for another I know what to look for, what table to look for, and who to look for now.
0: But it's did you then? Ed- did you then look for another editor? Or?
1: Um, I have, yeah. I have found somebody to help me with my, my second book, Oracle's Vision*. Mm. So she's uh, she's due to start work on it in August. Mm. Um, so um, she's actually based in England, so she'll probably be able to um, mm. it, uh, help us a bit better than. They ever wanted, and hopefully. Um, but I, I'm not going. I, I still feel that she probably, she was very good, but just probably wasn't what what yeah. I probably should have gone for somebody different.
0: It just wasn't like the right fit, right?
1: Yeah, it didn't. It, it wasn't the right fit for me. Even though at the time, I, at the time I thought it probably was, but then, then afterwards, I realised I should have gone down a different route.
0: Mm. And you self-published your book so you I did, had yes. your your final draft ready and then decided to instead of looking for a traditional publisher now i'm gonna publish it myself why
1: yeah yeah um so yeah, I, I had no idea at that time i had no idea how to go about it how to approach a publish publisher um when i was look i had it when i I sat down, did a bit of research, looked up online how how what's the steps to do to get a publisher, and I realised that I would probably need an agent to get a publisher, mm. and then the problem was how to get an agent, and I thought, okay, so and then I thought, I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be too, this is going to be expensive because I probably at the time I thought maybe. I thought at the time i couldn't wouldn't be able to afford a, um, an agent mm. so i thought um, maybe the best option is for me to self-publish so that's for, that's the reason why i i did i went down the self-publishing route because i just didn't feel well to be honest like, oh part of me as well i didn't think i was um there was that still that self-doubt in your head where you feel you're you're still not good enough that mm to attract a publisher so that's one of the reasons why i didn't go down that route because i did, <laughs> it was the fear of rejection i think as well <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah. it was that little voice in the head say, don't do it you'll you only be rejected and you only feel sad so don't do it
0: <laughs> you're not, not, not <laughs> gonna succeed anyway so why even try
1: it. yeah um, as to say, the only, fear, the only thing to fear is fear itself. So I thought, oh, why, why go that Why end up being suffer, yeah. suffering rejection, just and publish it, start publishing, sub-publishing, <laughs> and then, if it doesn't work out, oh, it doesn't work out.
0: Yeah. And who said that? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself.
1: You know, I can't even remember. I've heard it that many <laughs> often, but I just not
0: remember. <laughs> yeah, I think nobody knows who said that. Everybody knows that that quote, but nobody has an idea for yeah, where yeah, yeah. from where it came from.
1: It's strange how you your mind, but you don't know who they are. So, so, I, yeah, once, so, so. And once I settled on self publishing, I did a bit of research on how to self publish. Hmm. I came came across Amazon KB, KDP, so uh, I went on to KDP and watched a couple of of their tutorial videos on how to edit, uh, edit um, format your document. Mm. And so once I sat down, after I sat down that I, I went and format started. I started to format my Kindle book first, mm. and. <laughs> it was such an, uh, uh, mund, I was going to say mundane, but it was such. Uh, I'm trying to find the right word here, but it was uh, such a monotonous task. I would mm. say. because mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was having to copy and paste. Then, once for some reason, there were certain chapters that were ended up being, um, out of play, out of sync. Mm. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? And it took me, I think it took me about a week to finally figure out, (laughs) once I finally got it, formatted. Uh,
0: I don't think Um, anybody really enjoys that part of the process.
1: Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. And then the paperback, I think it was the paperback where I formatted the paperback, it wasn't too bad because I was able to download a template where I was able, once I figured out how many pages I've got, and once I realized, once I realized what side of good imagine I was going to use, that, mm-hmm. that's when I, that I think the paperback template was easier to format, mm-hmm. it was just a matter of copy and pasting, and, which took a bit, took took a few days by the time I probably pasted things over, then um, matched, I had to make sure everything matched up on the start of each chapter, the uh, beginning of each chapter mm-hmm. I so it it um not the format it the the appearance. Mm-hmm. um yeah, the, so, yeah, so it looked as yes, so each chapter looked exactly the same as each chapter where it's the way it was laid out
0: mm-hmm.
1: um trying to one two three, four up oh, down that line, and then one, two three, four yeah, that's our line just making sure they're all lined up perfectly. <laughs>
0: mm.
1: <laughs> and then um, then after that, I realised I needed um, to find a cover designer. Mm. I had a I had a basic idea of what I was looking for, but it was, I knew I wouldn't be able to do that because um, I'm not very creative when it comes to something like that, so I knew mm. I would have to look up uh, for a cover designer. So I went on to um fiverr again and looked up cover designers um and found this um this lovely guy who um who did this who I was able to contact and once we spoke to each other and bounced ideas off each other and he'd care yeah, after about a, I think about a after, I think it was about a week he came back to us with a, with a, with a suggestion, which, when I thought, was exactly what I was looking for. And, and then he was able to design the, the back. And I, um, and the, once I figured out what size cover I needed, it was what size, I think it was the, what size paperback I was going to have to go for. Yes, I knew there was different sizes of paperbacks for for different yeah. countries. No, um, which was, which I found a bit puzzling. So I just decided, oh, I'll just go for the American version, yeah. and end up being bigger than I was expecting. But it, it still worked out. It it still worked out okay. Um, mm. and then, um, I think it was, yeah, it was it was called Chris and He designed this. He, not only did he design the cover, but he d- did some of the promotional material for the book as well. He designed two wonderful animated covers. for so us one with a like a a, a moving head. which started moving, which creeps out people whenever they see it pop up on the timeline on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as well as a, a cover where the the cover has like a a fog effect, basically. And then there's the over over promotional material, which um, I thought was for what he for, for what was. I thought I would, uh, I was, would probably consider using them again if I, if I got the chance.
0: As you said, you know there are many parts of of self-publishing a book, yeah, and the yeah. big disadvantage as a, in the author is that you have to finance all of that yourself, and can't just let the publisher do that. So would you maybe be willing to give us a rough financial breakdown as to how much you had to invest to make this book happen?
1: Um, yeah, I would say just under five, yeah, just under 5,000. I had to invest in everything that was mm. in the other day, the cover designer. So yeah, probably just under yeah. 5,000.
0: Was that as much as you expected from the beginning?
1: Um... I knew I would have to invest in something, but it was more than any actually intended to. But mm. um, I realised that if I wanted to, the cover, if I wanted the book to be done, to look, to be professionally done, I would have asked. I would have to invest the time and the money into it for it to be done properly.
0: Mm. Of course, once the book out, once the book is out, then yeah. the other. Big and difficult part <laughs> is actually getting people to listen uh, to oh, what yeah, you have to yeah. say about it right and to give it a try and to read it
1: yeah it's that's the hard part trying to convince people to read people to read a book that's oh. from someone who they've never heard of as well that's that's another thing and um, especially if i think that's one of the hardest things is for a first time or for a first time author is to try and convince people to read a book from somebody who they've never heard, so uh, it's it's hard, but it's once if people are willing to give you give it a the chance, they realize it it's it, 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 it's quite enjoyable. Um, yeah. some of the first reviews uh, I got they were quite um were quite critical, but they were they left me uh, they were left me filled with a bit more confidence and that I did the right that's yeah. that actually did it. Um, yeah. um
0: and how, but how I did think, how did you go about the about the marketing process? How did you make sure that because when you look at your at your Amazon page, you have a good rating and you have I think around like twenty uh, people who gave their opinion on your book. So no matter what you did, right, you were reasonably successful yeah. with it so far.
1: I think because at, at the time I'd set up an, an author page uh, mm-hmm. and mm. I put out requests for people if. I basically sent out I think I sent out 50 copies of my book to people to ask them to for, for who, who who responded my request to read and to review. Mm. Um out of the 50 I think only 10 actually did it. Mm. And then it was, uh, once I got those 10 up, was fine. But I think the rest followed slowly after, it, trick, it was a bit of a trickle after that, where people start to buy the book and review it. Um, but it was quite disappointing that I'd sent out, I think it was between 30 and 50 books and only got back 10 reviews. It was quite disappointing. Uh-huh. Um, but at least, as some of us authors said, it's, at least I did get some of you, yeah. which, which did help.
0: Uh, it's always like, I think it's always difficult for for indie authors to gauge whether or not they yeah. can see themselves as successful, right? You know, you send 50 out and can get 10 back. And when you tell other indie authors that, you know, right, they say, oh, my God, you're so lucky. You know, I sent out 100 and only got back maybe one or two. Yeah. And so it's always easy to look at that and think, yeah, but I... Send out like 40 uh, 40 copies and didn't hear from them and so that's the part where I fail, you know that's where I'm not as good as I want to be and to kind of lose sight of the fact that there were actually people who who responded well to it
1: Yeah Um, Yeah, it's it's annoying as well that no matter you invest that time and effort to send books out to people but Mm. they don't take the time to respond back by 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 post review, even though they have read it, um, it, it it can be quite frustrating. But it's I think it's one of the drawbacks of being in the, I think for any author really is people is asking people to leave a leave a review, uh-huh. um, but it's as I think I've, as I've said before to to my wife a few times I'm a first time author so I've got a Walk right, right. basically. I've got to crawl before I can actually walk. So it's mm. it's, it's, it's it'll take time. And i no no. From the start, I've 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 been under no illusions that it is going to be hard work. So mm. uh, but I've accepted that, that it's one of those things that you have to. For, if you want to have be sex sexless, something you've got to be. You work really hard at it, mm. and and not give up, and still believe in yourself. Which I still do. I still believe, that I can that that I can one day probably, a, not be a good writer, but I can probably be a decent writer and tell a decent story for that people who I hopefully will enjoy.
0: And and just to, just to close off that that uh, part about the finances, um, how much of your investment in your first book have you made back, or have you have you made it back?
1: good question Um, I would say I I would honestly say I'm nowhere near making it back yet Mm. Um, but I'm hopeful that one day I will but um, maybe I won't but at least I know I tried Mm. Um, on average I would probably say I'm selling probably two book two e-books and Uh, two audiobooks a month Um, and probably on average I get a probably between 500 and 1,000 pages read on KDP uh, on Kindle Unlimited which it isn't much but at least I know somebody's reading it
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely (laughs) I mean there are (laughs) other others who are like who are full of envy right now
1: (laughs) I mean I know this month probably probably has been a bit of a... One of the first months where I haven't actually sold... Well, actually, I haven't read many people, haven't actually read many on, on Kinermit. Mm. I think this month has, really, has been a dip. I've seen only yeah. probably 159 pages read on Kino limited this month. But the summer months was, are
0: usually oh, lower, right, for entertainment?
1: So, yeah, but. so yeah, so I, yeah, I, yeah, I found out that last year. Sometimes it's the summer months where it is where offers will find this a dip. And sometimes it does pick up around Christmas time, so it, it it swings in roundabouts, really, when you think about that, where it's like in any business, you'll see dips here and dips and per, per, picks there, so it, it varies. So I'm not worried, because as, as, as long as one person leads it, I'm, I'll be quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> and- I think... One of the, one of the other, other things I've enjoyed doing was getting it made into an audio book as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, good that you're talking uh, about that because you're going to read a little uh, part of your book right now, right?
1: Yes, that's right, yeah. This is the prologue from Double Jeopardy. It basically starts off with um, a, a good to pair of government, government ministers on the way to, to inspect uh, um, a secret experiment um so right if you bear with this, i'll start start log 4th of september 1932 location langley park durham england the black austin 10 drove at high speed down the country road it was late late evening and the road was poorly it. in the driver's seat sat james blake an experienced driver who carefully navigated the roads at relatively safe speed but was still mindful that his passengers expected to arrive at their destination punctually at the great time. James looked into his rear-view mirror at the two passengers in the back seat. He noticed they were both holding flashlights, reading, and gave a cough and they both looked up at him. Brigadier Thornton, I'm sorry to disturb you sir, he announced but we'll be shortly arriving at our destination. Brigadier Thornton nodded and gave a small smile. Thank you, Blake. Brigadier Albert Thornton took in a deep breath, rubbed his eyes and adjusted in his seat uncomfortably. He was now in his late fifties. Years of following a military fitness regime had kept him in good shape physically, but he still found these long journeys tiresome. Because of the secrecy of their visit, they had asked him to be discreet and wear civilian clothing, rather than his normal military uniform. He had objected initially, but now he was glad he was wearing comfortable clothing. Yawning, he brushed his hand through his silver hair and looked across to the man sitting next to him, who was holding a flashlight, reading an unofficial-looking document. Well, shouldn't we shouldn't be here much longer, Mr Samuel. He then winced and shifted uneasily in his seat it'll be good to get out and stretch our legs. Herbert Samuel looked across at him, nodded as he rubbed his temples with his fingers. Although he had been a politician for close to 20 years, he found parts of his job distasteful. He had thought when he became Home Secretary that he would have been able to pass certain tasks on to his subordinates. But when the Prime Minister, Ramsay MacDonald, Requested he wanted him personally to investigate how the experiment was proceeding and that he was to report directly back to him. He had assumed he had no choice. Samuel looked down at his documents, still scarcely believing what he was reading. Unbelievable, he muttered, shaking his head. I still can't kind of comprehend that we're actually doing it. It's as like sending out a H.G. Wells book. The grey haired soldier hoofed in agreement. <laughs> which is the reason the Prime Minister was ordered to look into this. Apparently, Churchill is on a soapbox again and is trying to pressure the government into taking action over what is happening in Germany. Samuel snorted back a laugh. If Churchill ever read these papers, he would have had a heart attack, he replied, shaking his head. When the secret Intelligence Service first learned that Germany were looking into developing this technology, what did they call it? Matter displacement? His face hardened and he fixed his travelling companion with his steady gaze. Well, as soon as the SIS learned about it and briefed the Prime Minister, it scared them to death. The thought of this technology in the hands of another power, foreign power, they realised that the British government needed to act. Morgan nodded grimly. Can you imagine it? Being able to deploy troops anywhere in the world, at a moment's notice, in a blink of an eye, he shook his head in disbelief. Horrifying to think Germany really had that power. It was only by the grace of God that German scientist Alan Selyab was scared at what Herr Hitler would do when he comes to power, and what Germany could do if they ever got their hands on his research. Well, when we learned he wanted to defect, The first chance they got, we contacted him. We arranged SAS to get him out of Germany by faking his death, making it appear like a motor vehicle accident. Once things settled down, they brought him to England. And then, after debriefing him, we set him up there. And that was a year ago. Samuel stroked his black moustache and nodded silently. He looked out the car window and and stared into the darkness, troubled. I understand the need for secrecy, but did we have to set him up this far north? Were we not able to set him up somewhere closer to London? The beggar shook his head. Oh no, there are too many reasons we chose this location. One of them being anywhere near London would be too risky. What better way to hide a secret research centre than in an isolation hospital in a mining village? Holding his torch closer to the paper resting on his knee, he pointed his finger to something on the map. The railway line leading to the mine was perfect for moving heavy equipment Dr. Shelley needed. If anybody saw anything suspicious, we would explain it away as equipment that was needed to a great hospital. Samuel lifted his chin thoughtfully and turned to the Brigadier curiously. Um, what about the hospital staff? The risen soldier gave a wry smile and stared knowingly at the Home Secretary. All the hospital staff have signed a non disclosure agreement and understand the penalty for asking too many questions. And because the hospital is supposed to be treating people with infectious diseases, civilians aren't allowed to visit their relatives without them that are being treated. The shocked Home Secretary raised an eyebrow and nodded in understanding. And the other reason? He asked. There is a natural crystal cavern formation under the village. Thorndon's mouth twitched and he lifted his sword in a harsh look. Well, I don't understand myself, but according to Dr. Salyub, it is ideal for what he needs to do. Samuel frowned, not understanding, but nodded as if he did, and then his face changed, eyes narrowing. I understand you have met Dr. Salyub, he asked curiously. I've read mixed reports about him, but what is your opinion? The brigadier thought for a minute and bobbed his head. He is a brilliant man, no doubt about it, he muttered. But he is arrogant and does not suffer fools gladly. There's something about that man that sets my teeth on edge whenever I am out to him. Just then, the car stopped at a large iron gate. A plain coals man stepped out from a small guard post beside the gate. James rolled down his car window and blinked when a flashlight was shone on him. Can I help you, sir? the guard asked briskly. We have an appointment in the hospital, James replied, showing his papers. The sombre-faced man shone his light on the documents and nodded slowly. They say it is to rain tomorrow. My garden is full of weeds this year and the rain will help the roses, James replied. Mm. It is best to use red roses in a garden, the guard muttered cryptically, while continuing to examine the papers. I mm. prefer blue roses as red ones attract the moles, James continued. The guardsman smiled grimly and gave a small nod and handed the papers back to James. It was at that that point another clean clothes man stepped out from behind the shadows holding a gun and watched the car warily. You are clear to enter, he turned and motioned his watching commander to open the gate. If you follow the road up to the hospital and take a left turn, it will take you to the lab's entrance. James lifted his hand in acknowledgement and rolled up his window and drove the car forward. Gardening? Samuel asked with a raised eyebrow as he spoke in a hushed tone. The brigadier smiled back at him knowingly. James was giving us good phrase. If they gave the wrong answer, then he would shut us all without hesitation. Samuel nodded and stopped, but gave his tongue a double take. He swallowed, and the colour drained from his face, his eyes widening in realization of what nearly happened. The car drove forward and was ordered behind the hospital. As the car pulled up to a stop, Samuel saw a short, blonde 20-something woman dressed in a white lab coat who appeared to be waiting impatiently. The woman walked over to the car and opened the door, whereupon the brigadier quickly exited the vehicle, closely followed by Thornton. The brigadier bobbed his head in acknowledgement at the woman in the white coat. Dr. Joanne Abbott, this is Herbert Samuel, the Home Secretary. Dr. Abbott moved forward and shook the Home Secretary's hands. Pleasure to meet you, sir. There was an urgent tone of knees in her voice. The big editor, the, woman, the woman's nurse, nervousness, he gave her a reassuring smile and gestured to the building. Don't be nervous, Dr. Albert. We're only here to see how things are progressing. Joanne pursed her lips together, gave a snod, and then led them to a small outhouse beside the hospital. She stopped in front of the large wooden door and held it open to motion for the two men to move in closer. I'm glad you have arrived, sir, she whispered, dabbing her brow with her handkerchief nervously. Dr. Seljab is pushing ahead too fast. We're trying to tell him we need to be careful and that we need to tread slowly, but I'm afraid he's begun raising." The numbers say we are in danger of an overload, but he stumbling refuses to listen. He is intending to activate the device tonight. She let out a heavy relieved sigh. Oh thank God you were here. You might listen to you. The brigadier gave the woman a harsh, disbelieving stare. That's impossible, doctor Albert. We have to understand that you were a year away from safe activation. Joanne had a a heavy snort of frustration. Stretch out a hand and open the door to let the two men in. After closing the door behind her, the van several flights of stairs. Yes, that is correct, sir, she said breathlessly. By all rights, we should not even be this close to a test, but Celia is refusing to see reason. He arrogantly believes it is safe to proceed now. All the studies show if he tries to activate the device, we risk a major overload or worse. Five, mil- five minutes later, a trio came to the bottom of the stairs and stood in a dimly lit corridor that appeared to stretch out in the darkness. Samuel twisted his head around as they walked down the narrow tunnel. Where are we exactly? he asked. Joanne stopped and turned to the Home Secretary and waved her hand up at the ceiling. At at the moment, we are walking under the hospital grounds. They built the main lab into a cavern under the village. Her hazel eyes flickered with uncertainty and she glanced up at the ceiling. Dr Selyab thought the natural crystal formations in the cavern help amplify the energy needed to create a stable matter transmission. Although most of us have a theory that the crystal formations will have the opposite effect and may cause a cascade reaction with the power that Dr. Selya plans to use, we have a theory we may end up opening a dimensional lift or something worse. As they hurried down the corridor, they suddenly heard a loud rumbling noise followed by a significant large tremor. The wide-eyed young woman stumbled and placed a hand up against the wall to stop herself from falling. She stared at the two men in horror; the color draining from her, from her face. "Oh my God, he's done it!" she exclaimed. "The mad fool has activated it."
0: Hey, That was awesome, and and the next part, the sequel is already in the works. You said?
1: Yes, I am. Um, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm actually on with my sixth draft of it at the moment. And um, I'm hoping, well, the editor will, will be taking over it in August. So I'm aiming to publish, publish it probably November, December time.
0: Mm-hmm. So in time for the Christmas market.
1: Hopefully, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how how different would you say is your approach for the second book compared to the first one?
1: Um, no. I would say probably not that much different. I was probably more aware of what I needed to do this time. I'm more confident that that I'm able to do it. But Mm. this time I'm I'm able to see certain things where I couldn't see me in the first book. Mm. Um, How the way I write, um, the way I describe things, especially in the book, and punctuation and um, grammar what to look out for, that, that type of thing, as well as being more expressive in my writing, is probably learn more from my first book. So I was able to use that for this one.
0: Hmm. And the whole process of writing, did it go any faster?
1: Probably not, no, because it still um, um, still took, took me about a year to write my first draft, hmm. which uh, I, um, that was because... <laughs> See that it ended up being longer than we we re- re- first spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we I think Double Jeopardy ended up being 136 thousand words. Well, Oracle's Vision has ended up being 183 thousand words, so it's mm-hmm. a lot longer. So I may have to consider Britain, this one, the two books.
0: Did you have for the second one a a? word goal every day that you wanted to hit in order to get uh, the first draft done or did you just write depending on how the inspiration kissed you i
1: didn't have a basic well i didn't have a basic target to write at i i just wrote i was as i always have a set time to write on a morning i usually write um between um half eight and twelve and then because so if if I live it any longer, then i going to get, then I, because I suffer from chronic fatigue, mm. it start, I start to get tired. And that's, mm. at that point, I know when I kinda I really write and make sense of what I'm so mm. I write. So I always have a set time. And sometimes I hit my work. I, I don't have a specific word count. Sometimes I can write around 2,000, 3,000 words, sometimes slightly more, but sometimes less. Mm. But I never have a set target each day of what what. Of what 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 word count is,
0: but you write every day.
1: Um, I try to, but at the moment, at the moment, I'm probably write. I'm probably editing every day more than writing at the moment because I'm trying to improve um, Oracle's vision at the moment uh, before to make sure it's perfect before I'm handing over to my editor. Uh-huh. I've st- I've started writing. Um, I did start writing book three a few months back. I had to set that to one side to concentrate on Oracle's vision at the moment.
0: Mm. So you're not a big fan of the approach to write several books at once as some authors do? (laughs)
1: Um, No. Um, I find I'm not very good at multitasking. So (laughs) I was was trying to focus on one thing at a time. Otherwise I end up getting too distracted and I end up losing something or becoming sidetracked. So I was... But I always prefer to concentrate on one thing at a time, and then once that's done, I can concentrate on the next next task.
0: Do you have a, a very tightly controlled writing space uh, somewhere in your house?
1: I do. Yes. Yeah. Um It uh, <laughs> it used to be my man cave where with PS four and everything else used to be, and then I turned it into a um, a, a writing den with with a desk and everything. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's important to have a space where you can sit comfortably and concentrate. Um, it's uh, I'm a I'm a bit of have a bit of OCD, but it so something like this helps. Where hmm. I have something like this where space I can I can use as my own, where I can basically come to every day and do do this.
0: Hmm. But is it then also super tidy, or is it this usual cluttery mess that you expect from artists? <laughs>
1: um. No, I would say it's probably tidy. I do have a notice board up on the wall, full of stickies and, mm-hmm. and posted notes. <laughs> just very really untidy, but the but my desk
0: itself's quite tidy. Oh. Alan, uh, thank you so much. It was such a joy for you to stop by. Mm-hmm. You're and welcome. now that we come to an end, where can the listeners find you on the internet?
1: Um, they can find me on Twitter uh, and. Um, Under the the username Mm albear3037, as well as Instagram, uh, with the same username. And then on Facebook, they can find me, find my author page. Yeah, on Facebook, uh, my author page is uh, Alan Bale's author. So that's why you should be able to find me on
0: Facebook. And your book, Double Jeopardy, is on Amazon?
1: Yeah, Double Jeopardy, available on Amazon in Kindle, paperback, hardback, as well as available on iTunes and Audible in audiobook.
0: And is there already a title for your sequel?
1: Yes, um, the second book is Oracle's Vision, which follows directly on from uh, Double Jeopardy.
0: And if everything goes as planned, it's coming out before Christmas this year.
1: Yeah, hopefully at the end of the year,
0: I guess. Well, thank you again for stopping by.
1: Being a pleasure. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elric Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.